The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. Welcome to LPO, Landing Page Optimization. Landing page optimization expert Tim Ash is here to show you what it takes to create optimal landing pages. LPO brings you detailed case studies, opinions, and analysis from the leaders of landing page optimization. Now here's your host, Tim Ash. Welcome, listeners. This is your host, Tim Ash, and you're joining us for another wonderful podcast of LPO, landing page optimization. Uh, with me today are... A uh, couple of friends, uh, founder of BrooksBell.com. Well, actually, Brooks Bell. What a big surprise. Welcome, Brooks. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having us today. And then also Greg Ng, who's the chief strategy officer at Brooks Bell. Hello, Tim. Hey, well, well guys, thanks for joining me. I, I understand that uh, you're somewhere on the East Coast there in the Tornado Alley, I guess as we call it here in San Diego. Uh, but you're you're located uh, in um, North Carolina, I believe. That's right, in Raleigh. Uh, Raleigh, or I like the way you say that. It's very different than we'd say Raleigh. But that's <laughs> not how you say it, right? Uh, so for the folks that don't know your firm, can you tell us a little bit about what you guys do and how you got started? Sure. We're one of the top optimization firms in the country who focuses exclusively on A-B split testing for enterprise-level companies. Okay. And we started almost nine years ago. Okay, and then, so some of the companies that you work with, give us some, some examples. Sure. We work with Comcast, Adobe, Brooks Brothers, Time Warner Cable, AOL, to name a few. Okay, well, fantastic. So uh, these are larger companies. They obviously have... Uh, some resources that they can put behind it. Now, but but also larger companies have their own kind of peculiar dysfunctionalities, let's say. So I want to kind of spend the next uh, you know half hour that we have together exploring what it's like to do testing in a large company environment because I think this is going to help a lot of our in-house folks. Uh, well, let me start with the question of why would you outsource your testing rather than doing it in-house because they could probably – Higher. So what are the pros and cons of when you're deciding to set up a testing program of whether to do it in-house or outhouse, as I say? <laughs> sure. Um, you know, the big challenge uh, for bigger enterprise-level companies to test in-house um, a lot of times comes down to what type of internal champions they have within their organization, how new their testing program or testing strategy is within their marketing department, um, it, is, it is beneficial to outsource sometimes um, purely from a budget and headcount standpoint um, in, in terms of it's, it's easier to dedicate some resources and less risk from a, from a hiring standpoint to outsource. But the real benefit um, really is that uh, organizations such as ours have um, category experience testing for um, companies that are similar uh, in scope and similar in their marketing needs. And so the, we're able to develop 
testing ideas that are, are not, um, not in a vacuum. And that is a, that's a number one issue that big organizations have when they keep testing in-house. Okay, so they kind of basically run out of good ideas. Um, they're just limited by their perspective being inside the company and they can't see the, the larger trends in their industry that you're, you're kind of seeing. I think that that's part of it. I think that um, a lot of times when you're within an organization and um, you are maybe um, dealing with uh, departmental politics, um, sometimes you're dealing with uh, people, depending on the category you're in, the vertical you're in, dealing with uh, people who have um, done testing for similar companies and are um, th- their entire kind of scope of knowledge is within a, a specific vertical. Um, you know, it, it's sometimes beneficial to get that outside perspective across multiple verticals um, because a lot of times um, things that may seem kind of um, basic or um, kind of best practice for one vertical might be revolutionary and can really move the needle for another. Okay, or, or another way to, to to put that is just I think just having an outside perspective, period. One of the things you mentioned was was company politics. I, I, we find that it's often the case with our clients that they're um, you know, they don't even think to do certain things because it's just so unorthodox or so against the grain of how the company kind of groupthink operates. Do you, do you find that that's the case as well? I agree. I think that sometimes just having, there's just a lot of politics involved and having a third party, having third party validation, um, even if it's a similar idea to what, you know, the the optimization manager that's in-house has thought of having a, a third-party validation really helps get get more buy-in um, outside of the optimization group, and so that's yep. another benefit of of adding an outside team um, like ours or yours to the table. Yeah, and uh, you know the way that they think about it is, like, you know, outside consultants. There's two perspectives. I forget the guy that wrote the book um, up the organization, but he was joking that consultants are people that will borrow your watch to tell you what time it is, and then keep your watch. <laughs> uh, you know, that's one perspective. But the other is, you know, we find that we're often in the role of saying basically the emperor has no clothes. And like you say, even if the internal people have said the same thing, they're not listened to, they're not respected. But if you're paying someone to tell you that, then all of a sudden you better listen up, right? Right, right. So I think both, you know, whether adding fresh, you know, new ideas is, is one benefit. And then, of course, validating existing ideas is a second benefit. Or, or you know, kind of flying, like I said, almost like political air cover because you've chosen to bring these folks in. You should, you know, give them a fair hearing, right? Right, exactly. Uh, but, but so, how much of your role inside then turns into this kind of uh, internal refereeing or politicking? Uh, how much of your time is spent? I mean, let's be honest about it. At the beginning, uh, one of the big challenges or opportunities is to help um, improve the culture at, at our clients' companies. And so at the very beginning, when we're helping getting more buy-in from other groups, um, you know, that, that is a big part of it, uh, especially if our internal client doesn't have a lot of, uh, you know, political power internally. But after that initial kind of ramp up and, and after you know, the testing program is really going, we spend much less time on that. And most of our time is in execution of the tests and, and executing the roadmap and process 
uh, and that you know, and and and, and beyond just the the politics um, and the getting buy-in. Okay, so there's. Um uh, this initial herding cats phase, and then you can get down to business. Usually we found that that happens after you have a, a, a successful test and you can quantify the financial impact of it. Is that kind of what you're seeing too? That's right. To some degree, having a successful test is one thing, but it's probably more getting uh, a whole roadmap, a whole you know 20 tests queued up. Uh, once we have the buy-in and the workflow established, uh, it's we getting the the test going and getting just the general momentum um, going is mainly what we need. And the the ROI is in there as well. But uh, we look at ROI kind of on a you know there's usually lots of tests, and so we look at it um, really on a more iterative fashion. Okay, but but um, what I hear so what you're saying is you kind of um, think that you should just get buy-in on the notion of a whole testing program up front. I mean, one of the things that we found, I mean, it's a little different approach, is that we usually say, look, let's find a high-impact test that we can do and then use that to build the psychological momentum for a larger testing program behind it. So what are the pros and cons of those two approaches? So I think that there are uh, pros and cons to both approaches. Um, the, the pros for um, getting a single test up and running and getting a quick win is certainly great for um, building kind of internal goodwill um, and empowering our clients to, um, to, to build deeper relationships with testing and a deeper commitment. Uh, but we've also felt that, um, you know, winning is important, but winning uh, all the time on that very first test and holding everything up to that initial test is sometimes unrealistic and we feel that it's important from a deeper relationship, from a deeper concept of um, testing and iterating um, to set realistic expectations, to get the process right, to understand that even a, a, a test that may not win uh, will also develop a key learnings that can be applied across the organization. And with that, you must have a deeper commitment um, that lasts kind of more than one test. So okay, so even, you know, even, even the winners, I mean, you know, we can't call them 100% of the time. You know, a significant percentage of tests will probably not find a better version than what you currently have. So you're saying it's putting too much pressure to try to do that on the first test. Yeah, and, and part of the reason is a lot of times the test is inconclusive. Is not even based on the idea at all. It's based on how the, the testing tool is set up, how the data is collected, how the um, internal stakeholders are evaluating the success of the program. And so, um, you know, marketers are, are at a severe disadvantage, especially if you're the lone champion within your organization and you're trying to prove the validity of investing in testing, to put it all on the shoulders of an initial test when so many other variables can get in the way. Okay, um, fair enough. Okay, we'll, we'll explore that uh, after the break. Um, and But first I want to hear after we come back, uh, <laughs> Greg, I understand that you took a quite a long and winding road to become a chief strategy officer. I believe that was by way of being an Elvis impersonator. Hubba, 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 baby. We'll be back in two minutes after this break. More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment. 
Are you losing money because of a poorly designed website? Frustrated by low conversion rates on your online campaigns? Then come to Conversion Conference East 2012. Brasco here for WebmasterRadio.fm inviting you to Conversion Conference East 2012, October 9th and 10th in my backyard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Learn strategies used by the world's top conversion, usability, and testing experts to turn more clicks into customers. Immerse yourself in two days of interactive learning from 33 breakout sessions and three incredible keynotes from landing page optimization guru Tim Ash, conversion scientist Brian Massey, and the brain lady Susan Weinshank. Here's exciting news. You'll save $500 if you register as an early bird on or before September 7th. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 10% discount on your pass. When you register online at conversionconference.com with the promo code WMFM. Don't be left out. Join us at Conversion Conference East 2012, October 9th through 10th in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Go to conversionconference.com or click on the Conversion Conference logo on the WebmasterRadio.fm website now. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS. Text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm. Sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is authoritylabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Radio's Virtual Autobahn. WebmasterRadio.fm. Moving at the speed of light. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Welcome back to LPO, Landing Page Optimization, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's Tim Ash. And we're back. This is your host, Tim Ash, for LPO, Landing Page Optimization, with my guests, Brooks Bell and Greg Ng from Brooks Bell. Um, well, is it Brooks Bell Interactive, or is it pretty much just Brooks Bell, Brooks? It's just Brooks Bell these days. <laughs> okay, very good. Uh, uh, Greg, you... Um, Elvis impersonation? Whatever led you to that, that low point in your career? <laughs> some, some say low point, some say high point. What I say <laughs> is uh, it's definitely ancient history, but um, when I was in college, I, I did perform twice as Chelvis, the Chinese Elvis, an Elvis impersonator. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but he is, he is long gone. Uh, Re- so, retired? Uh, yeah, well, I think I know why. No offense, but I don't think I've met a Chinese person yet that can grow sideburns like that. That is true. That is true. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we were talking about Brooks. I'd like to switch gears a little bit. I know that uh, last time you presented at eMetrics, which is 
uh, held in parallel with our conversion conference that your topic was kind of getting a, a testing program off the ground. Okay, so what would you say are some of the key process steps or milestones or important considerations when setting up a program in a company that's never done one before? Uh, sure. So the, the process is incredibly important to a successful program. One of the, the reason it's important is because we've seen, um, and we've done some research against this, but for mature programs, only one in four tests win. And also, um, on average, most companies are only getting one or two tests out the door a month. And so therefore, if you do the math, a, a lot of companies are, if they only get one test out a month and only one in four win, it could take up to four months to get a winning test. Yes, assuming, especially if they're just kind of getting started and they don't have a lot of um, expertise kind of going into this. And so they, um, so the best way to start, you know, assuming that the, the one in four winning rule holds true, the best way to start getting a lot more results in your testing program is to test more and get a lot more than one or two tests out the door. And the best way to do that is to focus on your process. So the steps to, some steps of the part of the process are, first of all, to have a good strategic approach, to, to be able to justify your tests, um, to look at a few different types of insights to kind of have some clues on where to start. One is, of course, your data. Get into Google Analytics or Site Catalyst and start looking for interesting trends uh, that, you know, high bounce rates or low conversion rates or just interesting piece of data that doesn't seem to match up to industry standards. Another is talking to your customers, having customer insights, like using user testing or different survey tools or, you know, just picking up the phone and calling a customer and asking them what, you know, what some of their issues that they have. Or, you know, okay, so, so it's kind of like a, a discovery process to try to uncover as many problems as you can, yeah. right? And then you're exactly. prioritizing them probably based on a couple of factors. I would guess level of effort, exactly. that's what we use, and also uh, economic impact, and then finally how broken you think they are. In other words, is this a 5% <laughs> improvement or, or a 500% improvement right. Potential, right? Well, we. Well, how, how do you make those trade-offs? How do you how do you kind of cook the the idea of a formula or a spreadsheet, or how do you do that? We do have a we have a what we call a test queue, which is essentially the the roadmap with weighting based on, like you said, uh, level of impact, level of effort. Uh, the third one is also the number of learnings that we can do, um, as sort of, and usually those are opposite to the level of impact. Uh, and so we we try to have a nice little rhythm of a really big high impact and high effort test, um, kind of mixed in with several low impact, quick quick hits that are usually probably higher learning tests. Probably aren't going to move the needle a ton, but we will be able to start isolating variables. Yeah, we actually uh, normally recommend the two parallel queues, what we call strategic tests and tactical tests. So strategic ones might be done on a cycle time of two, three months or something before you even get to start collecting data. And the tactical ones, you should be pushing through several a month, smaller ones, right? Right, right. We have one queue, but I, I, I'm sure they operate in a similar way. And so first prioritizing, and then once you kick off your first test, 
we have what we call a uh, test flight, which is essentially a end-to-end -end test that starts with you know the the basic vitals of a test of the segment, the product, the volume, the expected number of days, the the objective of the test. You know, eventually that's where you put in the results and the learnings. Uh, but basically, the executive summary of the mm -hmm. test. So you fill in along the way, and then you kind of uh, flush it out from there. Include you know the creative, uh, the control, the test. Um, the, the test options, uh, the, the variations, uh, justifying kind of all of them. That's also where you put in the, the data or the customer insight that led to this test. And a few other kind of steps is really justifying and communicating all of the different uh, variables that might be impacting this test. You mean out, then, outside factors like seasonality or the data rate or the composition of the data, things like that? Yeah. Any of those things, that's right. Uh, this is good at, you know, this is also where we're going to save um, the knowledge from this test in one place. And so it's good to have the entire context and the entire story captured in one document. We also have what we call a learning matrix where, um, and this is really useful on small A-B tests where you um, proactively describe what you will do with every possible outcome. So obviously this only works for a pretty small, simple test with only a few different variations. But basically if, mm -hmm. if you know, the control wins, I will do this. If you know, version A wins, I will do this. If version B loses, you know, I'll do this. And so it's helpful um, to make sure that the test is clean and that you've thought uh, with the results in mind. Well, well, isn't that all kind of a given when you say the results in mind? If you have a split test and you're going to have a winning version, shouldn't you just run the winning version? I mean, what are the exceptions to that, or or how else do you think about it? I, I think one of the one of the issues, yes, in, in a pure testing environment, you would assume that when you have a um, data valid winning test, that you would run with that. What we've discovered, though, is especially with enterprise-level companies, there's there is a level of um, there's there's an additional layer that you you never anticipate, and that is um, in some cases there are um, powers that be that will overrule a winning test even if it is a winning test. They might not like it. It might not. It might be slightly off-brand. It might be um, something a, a case where. Um, someone feels that it conflicts with a, with a different promotion. So while you can still gain that knowledge um, and, and those learnings to apply to future tests, it's not something you would necessarily automatically roll out. That's, that's especially true in um, more promo-based e-commerce type testing. Um, the other option is, is a lot of times there are, there are tests that are flat that um, still get rolled out because they're flat, however, they're, they're, it's a redesign that, that makes the, the overall experience better. So yeah, so the way, I mean, we've, we've had the same thing where we had, uh, you know, say, a couple of winning versions, and they're radically different, and they have the same percentage improvement. So at that point, it's just a flip of a coin or a political decision. If you like the way one looks better, go for it. You know, so like you say, if that incorporates your latest branding, you might get a preference just because of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I think another complexity is there's usually lots of different metrics, some of which are in conflict with each other. 
and so that's another thing to kind of incorporate in our pro, you know our, in our our planning in terms of what a win really looks like. You know, one like average order value may go up, but the profitability of the test you know may go down or the sales may go down. And so, what do we you know? Is that a winning test or 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 not? Yeah. So uh, to to uh, paraphrase. Uh Forget who said this, but the, they said that in in theory, theory and practice are the same. In practice, they're not. <laughs> right. So I think we have that. So there's just the the reality of the situation uh, on the ground is is very different than kind of what you do in an ideal world. And um, so you're thinking through with the clients ahead of time exactly what the action plan is, given all the likely outcomes of the test. Right. That's right. Okay, well, we're going to take another break. Uh, time is flying by. We just have one more segment after this. And, Brooks, I understand uh, you grew up in the Great White North in Alaska, but I still want to ask you, how come you keep slamming into moose and buses with your car up there? Uh, we'll do that <laughs> after the break. This is your host, Tim Ash for LPO, Landing Page Optimization. More LPO, Landing Page Optimization, in just a moment. How far do your ads reach? You don't have to fly around the world for the right consumers and clients to find your business. What you need is profit through performance. Location 3 Media helps you to increase your brand's findability and performance. Let Location 3 Media help you create efficient and effective online marketing campaigns that fit your needs and get you results. We know every click starts a journey. Where will your brand be on the path? Visit Location3Media.com. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world. Majestic SEO. Majestic SEO wields its virtual sort with speed and accuracy to deliver detailed reports of your company's link data and that of your competition. Let Majestic SEO make you your own king of Internet marketers and join the crusade of clients and agencies that have chosen the noble choice for link intelligence. MajesticSEO.com Maximize ROI to use your time and let Majestic wield its How much time do you spend on SEO research and competitor analysis? What if we told you that there was an easier, faster way? Searchmetrics SEO software propels you to top positions on search engines around the world with our unique global search, social, and competitive data in over 60 countries. Gain a competitive advantage today with Searchmetrics.com. That's Searchmetrics.com. Your virtual webmaster frat house. Webmasterradio.fm. Hey, bring your togas. Webmasterradio.fm. Thanks for listening. Webmasterradio.fm. We're everywhere. Welcome back to LPO, landing page optimization, only on Webmasterradio.fm. Here's Tim Ash. And we're back. Uh, this is Tim Ash, your host for LPO, Landing Page Optimization, with my guests Brooks Bell and Greg Ng from Brooks Bell. Um, we're just talking before the break, or I was anyway, about your horrible driving habits. Tell us about driving in Alaska and growing up there, and what did you do? How did you scar <laughs> that great expanse of the Great White North with your driving habits? 
Well, I can't say I was the world's best driver when I was 16 years old. <laughs> and okay. having a lot of a very old car and with faulty a faulty transmission and combined with darkness and ice didn't make things uh, that much better. And and I still have a penchant for um, having a pretty uh, heavy foot. Uh, and so when I was 16, within six months of having my, my license, I... Um, I was I, I pulled out in front of a, a school bus and T-boned my um, my little car and then uh, fortunately no one was was hurt hurt that badly and um, although I did break a pair of um, skis in half that were um, in, in, you know kind of in in my car <laughs> well, occupational uh, <laughs> hazard up there I guess but, but yeah. what did you do to so, the poor moose uh, that's what I want to who won that one. Well, I, I think I won that one, um, and that one uh, was this this moose. You know how lots of squirrels run out in front of you all the time um, down here in in Raleigh. This moose did the same thing um, at night, and that's what <laughs> happened. He was young moose that decided to be a little bit bold, crossing right in front of me, and it didn't a- end well for him. Um, um, but uh, you had a lot of good uh, beef jerky for a long time, right? <laughs> Sorry, uh, I just couldn't resist. All right, well, let's see. Let's getting back on topic. I just, uh, I think I'm just gonna leave that one alone. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about kind of socializing the results. I think we're headed in that direction. So I think one of the keys here is to just the building momentum inside of a company for testing and optimization is making sure that everyone outside of the optimization team understands the impact and transparency of the testing program. So let's talk about that a little. What are some of the keys to getting the word out? Should you, how should you summarize it? Should you show the bad results with the good? Um, you know, what's your approach to that? Our approach is to make it as simple as possible. A lot of times analysis is pretty easy. It's easy to write paragraphs about all the different um, angles and the whole context. Well, a lot of times that's the wrong approach. Uh, we try to make our presentations as, as clean as possible and to simplify it down to the bottom line uh, and have a, lot of, a lengthy appendix with all of the nuances of the data um, so that they can really dive deep to fully understand um, you know, for that type that likes to do that. But we've, that we have one rule that we want people to understand the slide within you know, two to five seconds, uh, and we want it to make sense um, to two levels up in the organization. Okay, so that even even your dumb old boss or the CEO can understand it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So the, you know, just executive summaries, basically, and then the detail for the more analytically inclined types. But do you? But how do you feel about kind of the politics of saying, "Gee, we we had a worse outcome, or this test didn't produce results." What about those seventy-five percent of tests that failed to produce a, a better result? Um, how do you deal we, with those? We, we treat them just the same way as we treat the wins, um, and we have a lot of them. We share them with only our uh, our direct team, and then it's up to them to you know socialize those. Um, but we, if we've set up the test correctly, there's always a learning, and so uh, if we really highlight really the learning rather than um, the result itself, if the result isn't that helpful, you know, in terms of showing value created, um, at least if we have a learning, which is 
often more valuable um, than than the result. Well, I, I'm going to just kind of end by just exploring this a little bit. But I'm personally not a big fan of learnings. I think it's uh, kind of Monday morning quarterbacking or you know after the fact uh, myth making. You know, what exactly do you mean by by learning? And uh, you know, so you have an unsuccessful test. What did you learn? Well, if the, if the test is set up correctly um, and uh, you are um, producing a test against the control in a strategic way, even if it does not perform, you're, you've now eliminated what not to do. What You've eliminated some variables. You've eliminated some elements that may not resonate with, your, uh, with the audience. Um, again, this is part of um, a full test and iteration optimization plan. If um, if you we we of course want to win every time, and in a lot of cases we have tests that are we're maybe testing three or four um, tests against the control, and sometimes all of them win, sometimes all of them don't. Sometimes most of the time it's, it's somewhere in between, um, and each one is equally valuable because you can build upon uh, a losing test the same way you can build upon, upon a winning one. Um, so that that's kind of our strategy behind that. Okay, that's, so you're, you're so really what you're saying is that your tests, the tests where you get learnings are pretty tactical. You know which of these headlines or messaging approaches resonates for the audience, and okay, look, nothing resonates more than our current one. But you're not talking about whole page or whole process redesigns that are radically different, then, right? Because there are just too many things changing at the same time. Yes, that, that is correct. But what I would add to that is, while it may be tactical in how you execute that test, the, a simple change in headline has a deeper, deeper um, kind of implications for the organization as a whole. By, by testing a different value proposition, for example, and realizing that it does not resonate. Sure, there's channel concerns about whether it will resonate in other channels, but what it does is it frees up um, in, in a lot of cases, our, our contacts who are managing multi-channel marketing, it now gives learnings across direct mail, across radio, across DRTV on what truly resonates um, for those potential customers. So the, the value of that, of that losing test um, saves money across the entire marketing budget, and that's the story we like to tell. Okay, very good. Well, um, you know, this half hour has flown by. I'm sure it has for our listeners. I, I know we could, you know, talk for hours more. But if you want to um, more with Brooks and Greg, uh, come to the next conversion conference, October 9th and 10th. Uh, in Fort Lauderdale, only a half hour from Miami. And for our loyal Webmaster Radio listeners, save $100 with the WMFM discount code. That's WMFM when you go to conversionconference.com and register. Brooks, Greg, uh, thanks again. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you, Tim. And uh, we'll, we'll see you in Florida. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm.